What's going on, everybody? This is the Founder Hour Podcast. I'm your co-host, Pat, and on today's episode, we sit down with Alan Forsman. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Montage International, a luxury hospitality management company encompassing Montage Hotels and Resorts, Pendry Hotels and Resorts, Montage Residences, Pendry Residences, and management of some of the country's premier golf courses and clubs. Starting out as a doorman at a Marriott Hotel in New Jersey, Alan worked his way up to managing several hotels and was eventually tapped by Steve Wynn to be the opening vice president of hotel operations at Bellagio in Las Vegas before venturing off on his own to launch Montage in 2002. During our conversation, we talk about everything from Alan's childhood and college days, how he became interested in hospitality and his advice for those looking to break into the industry today, how his positive attitude and the relationships he built throughout his career helped him when launching his own company, partnering with the founder of eBay to open the first Montage Hotel, how the pandemic has impacted Montage as well as the industry in general, what the future of the brand looks like, and much more. Here we go. Um, I grew up in New Milford, New Jersey, a suburban New York City uh, town, and um, pretty idyllic childhood, I would say. Um, if you watch The Wonder Years, probably not too different from that. Um, consumed by sports mostly, loved to play baseball, uh, soccer, tennis, uh, basketball quite a bit. So um, consumed by that more than anything else and just uh, a pretty fun childhood. Yeah. Did you have like I mean, some kids, not all, but some kids have like this vision of what they want to be when they grow up and they kind of stick to it, whether it's through school or career, whatever it might be. Did you have an idea of what your adult life would look like or were you just sort of a normal kid, you know, figuring it out? Like everyone I was else. pretty happy-go-lucky, I think. Uh, most of the adults in my family were professionals. Um, I didn't see that for me other than I thought, you know, m- maybe law would be something. I had, a lot, had doctors and lawyers in the family and, uh, mm-hmm. and associated things. So uh, no one had been in business, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wasn't overly concerned with, with that as I was growing up. I just... Uh, um, just was developing and enjoying um, the moment, probably. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that helps when somebody doesn't really think too much about what they want to do and just kind of takes life day by day? I think it works both ways. You have people that find their passion early, they focus on it, and then they go for it. And I, and I applaud that. And I think there's others that um, the more things you, you dip your toes into, um, you will find what appeals to you but most importantly is finding that something special that um, gets you motivated and excited and as the saying goes if you find what you really love doing it never really feels like work and yeah. mm-hmm. there's uh there's a part of that if you can find um your passion to make a profession out of hmm. you said you were born in the east coast did you grow up there most of your life yeah i grew up uh, in the same small town um until I went off to college. Yeah, and where'd you go? I went to Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania. Tell yeah. us, yeah, tell us about your experience there. I'm, I'm curious, like, what your college life was like. It was a terrific experience. I was a uh, political science major, so from, from an academic perspective, uh, more just studying something I was interested in, getting a good liberal arts education. Uh, I probably chose political science because it was post-Watergate, and I was fascinated by what was happening at the yeah. time, and um, whether it was watching the hearings and what was going on, and, and, and that coupled with a real interest in, in American history, right. it seemed like a good thing to do. Um, and then the notion of a liberal arts 
background I'm a big advocate for. I think that the ability to communicate well, um, to be well-rounded, to be able to read and write and uh, the attributes that you, the, 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 the depth of what you learn in a liberal arts education, whether it's sociology, psychology, the sciences, getting, getting exposure to as many things as one can yeah. is great. Yeah. Uh, I'm often asked from potential hotel kids or that want to get into the hotel business, you know, do, do I have to go to hotel school or should I go? And for those that know they should, there are some fantastic hotel schools, and I encourage them like to Like Cornell? That. Like Cornell. Um, NAU has a great program. Uh, Michigan State, Penn State. There's a number of really strong hotel schools. UNLV right. has a great program as well. Um, but if you don't know... It's it's not a problem either. Getting getting experience in industry is really important, um, and I go back to learning the greater communication skills. Uh, will will take you a long way once you find what area or whether you want a career in the hospitality business. Right. You know, you mentioned liberal arts colleges. Me and Pat talk about this all the time. You know, when I was in high school or even growing up, you know, we both come from an Armenian background. We didn't really know what liberal arts colleges were even. Right. right? Like in L.A., we just knew USC and UCLA. I mean, that's it. There yeah. was nothing else. Yeah. Uh, my wife went to a liberal arts college, her sister, her dad. I mean, a lot. And they, they're also Armenian, but they grew up in America. And, you know, their parents grew up here and we were just, you know, kids of immigrants. How do you feel as though, you know, liberal arts colleges will do, you know, in the coming years? Like, will they have a greater appeal perhaps to, you know, folks who want to go to school, especially in this, you know, new climate that we live in? I think there's uh, as as strong a need today as ever for a strong liberal arts background. I, I think... Um, there's a tendency to get so focused on an individual skill set, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and that could be a detriment as you move up in your career. You, you don't really know what it is you want to do in the long run. And if you, um, you know, understand and um, develop interests that are much broader, I think it, it, it just helps you as, as one advances in a career, career. I mean, to understand yep. philosophy a little bit, just have exposure to these kinds of things right. and, yep. and history and the things that uh, make you more well-rounded as a person, I think are, are, are really strong attributes. Yeah. Um, I agree because, you know, it's like society sort of creates pressure for 17, 18-year-olds in high school to figure out what they want to do for the rest of their life and make a really big decision at that moment. But like to your point, no one really knows. I mean, it's very rare for someone to be like, this is what I want to do, and they stick to it, and they stick it through. And, and so having that well-roundedness and, to, I mean, another word you mentioned is exposure, which we talk about a lot, is the importance of, you know, um, making sure that kids in high school and even prior know what's out there know what know what's out there to be able to understand is this something that i want to do could i you know find this interesting or could i be good at this because if you don't know what's out there then you're sort of blinded to the opportunities and then at some point in your life you come across it ideally you would have come across it sooner to be able to make those decisions like what to study in college and what you know internships to have or what first few jobs to have absolutely and you see that um, even at the youngest ages where specialization, a child's a good athlete and they specialize. They said, well, you're going to be a baseball player and they forego uh, multiple sports and, right. and, um, and very few actually make it. So to be well-rounded and to be able to play the different sports as you're growing up. And then you may eventually say, no, this is where I'm most gifted or most interested. Right. Uh, but I think it's important early on to get the wider 
uh, wider offering and wider experiences. I think that just helps shape individuals as they mature in life. Yeah. So, Alan, you're going, you know, through college here and, you know, you studied political science, you know, post-Watergate. I studied political science. It wasn't as interesting because it wasn't, you know, post-Watergate. I think it would be very interesting now uh, to study political science. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but what, what, what did you take away you know, from college, did you discover what you wanted to do? Did you expose yourself to different things that, you know, piqued your interest? I, in the back of my mind, I thought I would go to law school eventually. Yeah. I thought um, that I would, that would be a natural progression as a political science major and not really giving a lot of thought as to what kind of law that could lead to. Um, but what, what had gotten me excited and started in the hospitality business was my senior in high school. I got a part-time job as a doorman at a Marriott Hotel in Saddlebrook, New Jersey. And that was a terrific you know, school job in high school and a great summer job as it morphed into being a bellman. And I uh, enjoyed it and they apparently enjoyed having me there. So every year they made a job available for me in the summer as a bellman when I'd come back from college. And so, so that's how I got exposed and introduced to the hospitality world and um, never when I started thinking that that was my career path, but it was something that I enjoyed. Um, and then after college, uh, I had an opportunity to work with someone that had uh, run one of the ho- run the hotel that I worked at, and that really got me um, supercharged about what the business could be like, seeing it through the eyes of uh, a, a, of a general manager of a hotel, and that really set me on the path to this is something I could see myself doing, I could see myself excelling at it, and I was all in. Yeah. What about it? piqued your interest so much like you know like you mentioned you put yourself in this position to be exposed to this world that you didn't know much about and what kind of stuck out to you that you're like this this could be something i want to pursue long term well it was uh, it had so many facets to it so a relatively complex business in that there's a creative side there's a management side um it has uh so many different moving parts that no two days are actually ever identical. It was not a office job sitting in a cubicle. Part of the success was being out and about. Um, success was in how can you motivate people to do extraordinary things. And, um, and if you looked at great coaches through the years, as I was a sports fan, mm-hmm. I always thought that was fascinating how certain coaches had a way of getting um, the highest performance out of talent. Uh, and, you, and you couple all those things together, and it's a very dynamic industry. And, and um, again, I was fortunate, although I had a, you know, an entry-level job, I was seeing the hotel world through the eyes of a general manager. He would share with me and uh, the, the challenges that he was facing and the, and the things that he was confronted with. And that just whetted my appetite more. So it was actually, I attribute that to great mentoring, you know, in a very -hmm. very solid way. Not that it was do this, do this, do this. It was see how I do it. Let me talk you through. And I became a sounding board for someone who was very, at a very high level, at a very young age. And it was um, a a real benefit for me uh, to learn what the big picture was about. When young managers start out, you're often so focused on an individual department that you don't see the entirety of 
of a, of a hotel or an organization mm -hmm. and having exposure to senior people in an organization helped me think uh, much more broadly much earlier than I probably would have had I, had I been singularly focused on a, a department or a responsibility. Mm -hmm. You mentioned thinking like a you know, general manager. Did you have this vision for yourself that, you know, I'm here where I am right now, I'm, I have to start somewhere, but eventually I want to own my own hotel in, you know, in the future? No, I wasn't so bold as to think I wanted to own. When I was working for large companies, it was I wanted to be the best at what I was doing with an eye towards how he could be successful in the future. So in the ho at the hotel level, um, the, uh, the running, a, running a hotel, the general manager is the, is, 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 is the job that, that I set my sights on as I worked my way up. I didn't think beyond that um, early in my career. I just wanted to be a great general manager, so I needed a great background and expertise to be able be really good at that mm -hmm. and then I wanted uh, as I um, traveled more and saw the world then I, I realized that there are certain hotels and properties that are just so spectacular um, so, some real elite properties and I thought that would be the ultimate to run a run a hotel or a resort of, of, of a certain caliber and do it successfully so right. I was more focused on that as I was working my way up but um, one of the things I talked to our young managers about is you really have to keep your eye on 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 the job you're doing today and some there's a tendency for over anxious you know career driven people to be wor more worried about the next job than mm. the job they're doing and that's a huge mistake right. you have to be <clears throat> focused on performing extraordinarily well in the job while then using your free time and finding mentors to gather more experiences. If you want to skip rungs on the ladder, you better be learning what's around you as you're, as, as you're progressing. So that, that means going to, um, if you're a young manager, going to a more senior manager and say, you know, I don't know much about accounting. You have a little bit of time where I, you, you can show me some things. And you'll find most people are passionate about teaching what their expertise is. Mm -hmm. They won't offer it up right away because they don't want to be a burden to you and have, ask you to do extra work. But if you go out, if you're a young manager and you say, hey, you know, I really want to learn this part of the business, I don't know, you, you will always find people willing to help um, guide and train and develop because it's, 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 um, do you, it's rewarding to do that. I'm curious, do you, do you think that that's something that applies to like every type of field in terms of, you know, I think it's oftentimes when like someone shows entrepreneurial tendencies when they're younger, they, they get, they tend to be overambitious to the point where they might maybe choose not to specialize in a specific function of where they work because they're seeing things from an entrepreneur standpoint and they want to, you know, do a bunch of different things. And so do you think it's, it's important, especially for young entrepreneurs to, to sort of find that right balance of being, you know, specializing in something and really doing well at it, but also having this sort of not jack of all trades, generalist mentality, but also like you know, let me let me make sure that everything else is in line too to set me up in the future to to run my own business one day. Yeah, I might be a little different than some entrepreneurs. I, it was really important for me to have a, a great foundation, and I didn't really realize that that may be the route I was going to go. Um, but I found it was invaluable to have develop uh, some of the skills that I did. So by the time. I became an entrepreneur and, and went out on my own. Um, 
I, I was I was prepared. Um, so it was people say, "Oh, that was a big risk." You, you know, age forty five, you going, you're you're stepping out of the corporate world, and you're going to go do this. Um, I felt I was really well prepared for it. I felt that I had an opportunity. I could always go back and do that. I, I had a, I achieved a great level of success doing that. So for me, it was low risk. Mm-hmm. And what happened through the years, I, 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 I understood that the great managers had an entrepreneurial spirit. They thought a little broader, outside the box, more creative often, um, took ownership of whatever the situation was. So I, as I matured in my career it started to i started getting the comfort level that you know one day i could probably do this on my own but that evolved over time there are other young entrepreneurs that they have that gene in them where they're they're uh start doing they're starting up from day one and that's that's what they do and um it's a little different than the way i did it yeah yeah you know we'll, we'll get into you know starting the montage and your entrepreneurial ventures in a bit but i'm really more curious now about you know even like your days as a bellman and why you enjoyed it so much i mean you you clearly loved it that you stuck through now what god knows how many years it's been since you've been in the industry but you must have really enjoyed doing that right i I did um i enjoyed the guest part because it was fascinating you you have this interaction with successful people and 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 i was a sponge you know i I, you you have you you you, i'm pretty perceptive and you create a rapport and and that leads to you know in-depth conversation sometimes and with people of all walks of life with uh many very successful and that that was of great interest to me and also when i was 17 18 years old working with uh, some career bellman age, you know, in the thirties or forties, street smarts galore and, um, learning what they did and how they gamed certain things, which weren't, and that was a good lesson for me later on because it wasn't as easy to pull the wool over my eyes on some of the, some of the shenanigans that I yeah. witnessed firsthand. So, uh, I enjoyed that too. I mean, it was, it was, I enjoyed seeing the dynamic and what, what, what people, how they how how they did and um and I also enjoyed um as as a young person being thrust in an adult environment in a hotel world there's a great equalizer when you first start and all, for the first time I'm in high school by day and having dinner um you know with divorcee uh, waitresses at night and uh career bellmen and doormen and young managers and the um it was fascinating to me just just how the world um, operated and how people were different. And it began also a respect for what happens to make a hotel successful. It's from the very first days, you see the inner workings. And I was exposed to things I had never seen before. What do stewards do? Cleaning the dishes and how hard that might be. And what do uh, the housekeepers do? And, and uh, it really opened my eyes to, to different behaviors and how people were treated. And that began in motion how I would view um, what success looks like and right. what uh, what interactions should be like. You mentioned having like mentors early on that helped you sort of progress in your career. How did you go about getting these mentors? Did you go, was it purely like cold outreach on your end? Like you identified someone that could potentially be a good mentor to you and you approached them or was it just natural? Uh, like was it just your sort of curiosity that, you know, attracted them to you? Like, how the did first you first know mentor? It? Was it was it was um, uh, one of those 
very unusual circumstances. I was working as a bellman. This is still in New Jersey. This is still in New Jersey. Um, 17 years old. Uh, I'd just been promoted from dormant to bellman. <laughs> I remember checking a guy into the hotel, take him up to his room, get him all set up. He comes down to the lobby a little bit later, spends hours asking me questions. What's it like working for Marriott? What's it like at this hotel? What's it like living in the area? And it was just, it was a slow Saturday night, and I, I, I probably spent an hour um, just with pure enthusiasm about the company I was working for, the area I lived in and grew up in. Well, two weeks later, I'm standing at the bell stand. The bell captain pokes me in the ribs and says, hey, look alive, here comes the new GM. And I get a big, hey, Alan, from the guy that I had checked in that night, was the new general manager of the hotel, who was just undercover looking at the hotel for the first time. So he had a rapport with me, and I had a rapport with him that was highly unusual. Um, and from that, and when I went off to college that year, he, he went out of his way, um, to let the managers know how, what he thought of me as a high potential person. I'm you know, 18, at this point, 18 years old. And that opened the door for me always coming back and being hired mm-hmm. and opportunities. And that led to when he w- moved up in his career, he went from running a Marriott in Saddlebrook, New Jersey to Amsterdam, Holland to opening a resort in Rancho Mirage, California, Rancho Las Palmas Resort. When he was opening Rancho Las Palmas Resort, it happened to coincide when I was open when I was graduating from college, and we had just connected because I was planning on moving out to California just for an adventure, spend a year out west before going to graduate school. Yeah. He convinced me, hey, come open this hotel as bell captain. I said, well, I've never managed anyone. Hire people like yourself. We'll teach you how to do it, and you'll you'll get exposed to something right. you've never seen. And that was yeah. the beginning of a mentorship. And I actually never worked for him again after that point. <laughs> we remained friends. Right. He was always a constant guidance in my career if I needed it. Right. But uh, it was um, an unusual experience and something that um, created um, uh, uh, the beginning of a lifetime uh, career for me. And I think it's an amazing lesson in just like having the right attitude no matter where you are because you just never know who you're talking to or, I mean, you know, it's definitely there's something to be said about taking action and being proactive and what you want to achieve but then also like how your attitude attracts perhaps some serendipity that could go your way um, that you just never thought of as a possibility. Absolutely. So that's under the category of creating your own luck. I mean, there's there's a prep preparedness that comes into it but really um if you 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 just never know where that real opportunity will come from um and i had no idea you know those many many years ago that was 1974 that that would uh that that would be the beginning of it and 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 i had the good fortune of working for many other super talented people that 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 helped shape what i did and every once in a while you work for someone not so super talented and you'll learn a lot from them too and before we go on to you know sort of what happened after that what was the state of just hotels in that era like in sort of in the 70s like what what was the hotel scene like and where was it going that did you did you have an idea of like the growth of it yeah well i was working for marriott at the time that was my early career and it was in their terrific growth years so they exploded they were opening 20 25 hotels a year um and i started with them full-time in 1978 i'd worked for them from 1973 to 78 part-time 
through school and, and whatnot, but really as a career from 78, I ended up working with them until 1991. And the beauty of working for a company like Marriott at that time was they needed talent. They needed people willing and ready to take on more responsibility. So as you learn and were capable of taking on um, bigger jobs, they were more than um, ready to give you those kinds of opportunities. So um, I always felt that working for a growth company is really important. Uh, you're not waiting around for someone to die in front of you or to retire. You, you, you have this uh, really great opportunity if you're flexible and um, willing to relocate and move up and move around. Uh, so through the 80s, where, where I did most of my moving, um, and into the early 90s, it was really um, a great time. Uh, and, and, I, and I was working for, you know, for, for a, what would consider a four-star, you know, not quite luxury yet, but, but really great service, focus, great culture of, uh, uh, of focusing on associates and, and, and an appreciation that how you took care of your, your staff would... would, would, would um, would impact how you can take care of your guests, and, mm. and it was a good, it was a good foundation for me, and it was a growth period. So it really let me get many different broad experiences, so that I was able to move up relatively quickly um, during that era. Nice. So you know, you talk about moving out west here to California and working with you know your then mentor. Uh, what was that experience like, and what did that end up leading to? Because I know you said you wanted to go to law school. I mean, yeah, so I, th I thought I—that's what I thought I wanted to do. So, but um, I had a buddy that I had met when I was in when I was in college. I spent a semester in uh, Washington D.C. doing an internship on Capitol Hill, and one of my friends from that program was from Arizona and had, and lived and would summer in California. And he convinced me, he says, "Come out, come out to California, Balboa Island. We'll rent a little place. It'd be a great adventure." So the motivation to come out west was I had a friend <laughs> yeah. come out west. I mean, you know, why not? Uh, everyone on the East Coast is a great dream to see California and experience what you see on television. Um, and I was, uh, I was, was somewhat adventurous. So packed up the car and drove out West and figured I'd find a job. Found My buddy had found a place that we'd be able to live in. And, and I, I would take it from there, giving myself some time to have what I thought would be an adventure. As I mentioned, it coincided with Rancho Las Palmas Resort opening, and so as part of that, as part of my reach out, I understand you. I knew he was opening that hotel, and I said, "I'll be in California, by the way." And that led to, "Oh no, come see me, come talk to me." And that led to, "Come do this job." And once I was doing the job, the light bulb went off. I mean, I must have been a few months into it. There's an energy and excitement about opening a hotel, especially a luxury resort, and I fell in love with what that could be like and then when we opened and the profile of the guests we were having and uh, and 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 seeing the business through the general manager's eyes I, I said this is something i really could aspire to do and, and from that point on i focused on this is what i want to do mm -hmm. i don't I, I never quite thought about it maybe forever but this is clearly what i want to mm. wanted to do so that led to uh an opportunity to, um after the first season of and having great success there, uh, I went through Marriott's management training program, came to Newport Beach, and then started work, working my way up through various different departments. Were you more attracted to the success that you could achieve, or were you more just attracted to the energy of a hotel? It was the energy and the excitement. Um, I never, 
I was less focused on, uh, at that point, I was less focused on, on the success and more about learning. And it was funny. I, I was paid very little. I was making my, uh, I made quite a bit actually as a bell captain. Yeah. But when I decided to go into the management training program, I went from making a fair amount as a bell captain to $212 a week as, as a trainee. Um, but the reality was I was learning a skill and learning a business that I had just been four years in college paying to learn, and they're paying me right? because you know, I didn't come with a full skill set. So my attitude and approach was I wasn't worried about the short term what I was making. I wanted to learn as much as I could, and I always had this belief or confidence that, that things would work out well. I, I, I um, pretty optimistic about life in general and was never hung up on how much am I making this week or what am I going to make this year or next year. It was, am I developing a skill set um, that will lead to long-term success, whatever that might be. Mm. Um, just to quickly like sort of segue into, you mentioned, um, you know, the sort of excitement and of starting or opening up a new hotel. Um, what about it is like, I guess talk to us about that process and that approach of sort of envisioning what, the overall, I don't know, aesthetic is going to be or the overall feel like of when you're first, you know, involved in launching a new hotel? Well, in my current role or when I was just my first exposure to that? Because I guess your yeah, yeah. first exposure to it was, yeah. was build a great department, mm-hmm. come up with the right policies and procedures within the broader SOPs of how the hotel operates and then hire a dynamic staff, train them and motivate them to perform extraordinarily well. So it was a microcosm of what I would do on a larger scale later. Mm -hmm. But at that point, I was not in control of the aesthetic of the property or some of the more creative parts. But within my own little world, um, you know, how can I, you know, hire the the best and the brightest? Um, and, And I had a different mentality. I, I said when I was looking to hire Bellman, I didn't want anyone who had Bellman experience. Why? Because I knew all the bad habits, and I know it would take a few years to learn some of those if I hired people with the right attitude, but not the bad habits yet. Because yeah. when you hire someone for a job as a Bellman, you'll learn, those, you'll learn the technical parts of the job. And I said that for most jobs in a hotel. We can teach you the technical parts, but the heart. The, the attitude, the, the, the way that the you, soft re, skills, the, re, the way you relate to people, the emotional intelligence is, is probably how you would uh, couch it today. But the, those skills, that attitude particularly, um, if you could hire to that, you could, we, we could differentiate ourselves and have a different level of service of people that weren't just hustling for the buck, but felt well compensated mm-hmm. and were hustling to make you happy, make the right. guests uh, feel special. Right. And that, and that I was able to, do in my very first job. So I hired this group of, um, must have been a dozen bellmen. And think about it, 1979 we opened. Of those dozen bellmen, nine of them went on to be managers in, in different positions in, in the hotel world. Some general managers, some very successful, but it was more identifying people. I wasn't looking for the career at that point. Now, I have an appreciation for career bellmen who do it well and are 
committed to being very professional about it. At that point in my career, it was, and I had come off some uh, history of seeing what it was like when you had people trying to game the system. So, I mean, I'm super proud of the, our team and, the, and, 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 and our montage, Bellman, and, and my roots are there. I have a real affinity for that. But um, when I first started, I, I, I realized early on that they have so much contact with our guests. They play such a vital role in creating what the whole hospitality environment can be in a hotel that I, I really focused on that. And uh, my first job um, and the success we had with that was the precursor for being able to do more as, as I moved up. Right. So you, you think about it, 1979, that's now 41 years ago, right? I don't know if my math is off or not. But you've you've done so many things during that time, right? Yeah. Um what did you how did how did that progress look like right and for you at the time you know where was your mindset at like did you have a goal for yourself that in x amount of years i want to be at this point after that i want to be at this point right how did you if you did how did you map out your professional career look i had a in my mind i wanted to be ready to be a general manager by the time i was 30 and i, I never talked about it. i kind of kept it kind of wanted yeah. to keep it to myself because that's not a realistic goal necessarily, but that was where I kind of saw myself, and um, and and I was on track to do that. And I actually, um, at the end of the day, it, just as when I was 29, I took the job with Marriott, has worked my way up to be the hotel manager, the number two job, but in their flagship resort. It was the most. Uh, where was this at? Marriott's Desert Springs. So that was an opportunity to open their at that time flagship resort first spa that they had ever done so i got an early um dose of spa and an expertise in that area that you typically don't have in our in our industry at that point especially i had 36 hotel 36 holes of golf to oversee and a large retail operation so that was a, a, a terrific opportunity for me at that point in my career again that was an experience that was uh really helped broaden my knowledge and skill base for resorts and for uh, um, for what I did. And I worked for a very dynamic general manager there, John Sirielli, who went on to have an amazing career in our industry. And, um, and, and he was um, just an incredibly talented general manager and really, um, really knew how to drive a successful business and motivate people and... Um, uh, we, we complemented each other really well and, mm -hmm. and, again, learned a great deal about someone I worked very closely mm -hmm. with. Yeah, and we ask about sort of that progression and the mindset because it's so common, especially today, for um, especially people who, again, have that entrepreneurial bug to be impatient with that journey and that process of actually growing into something and, and learning along the way uh, versus, you know, so I guess for you, you know, was there ever a time where you were impatient or, or was the mindset always, I'm learning, I'm very much on track, I'm very much on time, I could be a general manager by I, the age I of I used my impatience to my, to, to actually, as a benefit, I, I would say, so, so, when I, when I went through a training program, my first assignment was as a front desk manager. This was in Newport Beach. And the logical progression as a, from a front desk manager and then become an assistant front office manager, then a front office manager, then you go get some experience maybe in housekeeping and then food and beverage. So I was four or five months on the job as a front desk manager, um, doing quite well. Um, and my boss came to me and said, Hey, we have 
a person in housekeeping who's a housekeeping manager, the number three person in the, in, the, in the department, and she's really unhappy there. Uh, would you consider doing that? And we'll move this person here. You're going to have to get some housekeeping experience at some point in career. And would you do that? And I said to myself, ah, housekeeping, I, yeah, I don't know much about it. I, you know, I was exposed to it a little bit. But I said, yeah, I'll do it. I mean, I, and it ended up being the first big break of my career because what happened was a few months later, I, 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 oh, I, 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 I said one thing to my boss. I said, I'll do it if you will send me to Berlitz training to learn some Spanish because I want to be successful and I want to, I, I, I want, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. Mm. And they looked at me like, sure, I mean, you know, we'll get you tutoring in Ber- in a, through a Berlitz program. So I agreed to do it. Um, I started, I wor- started working as a housekeeper. And you learned Spanish. I learned a little bit, enough to tell you, uh, right. you know, what's clean or dirty and <laughs> right. how to get more towels and, yeah. uh, sucio and, sucio and yeah. uh, toys and yeah. So, so I, um, so I was a junior manager in the, in the department. Marriott was opening uh, the Anaheim Marriott nearby from Newport Beach. They were promoting the head of housekeeping, who was an old military guy. And, they, and I got offered the job to be the director of service, running housekeeping, the laundry, and the pool, skipped over the person that was also there, and became a department head at age 22. That was my first big break. But it was running a housekeeping department. Now, never would I have envisioned when I was starting a hotel career that housekeeping was where I was going to first make my right. mark. But it was, I went with the flow. It was a great opportunity. And it taught me such invaluable lessons. I developed an incredible respect for the Hispanic community and the hard work that they were doing and what it took to be successful in a hotel. And as I advanced my career when I ran my own hotels and when I started my hotel company, respect and appreciation for all levels of the organization became one of the major tenets of what our culture is about as a company. And I learned that from the beautiful people that I was working with and how for the first time I realized that the job they did would dictate my level of success. So I had to fuel them in whichever ways possible to give them the tools to do the job, to give them the support, whether it was the emotional support, the basic skills, if they ran into obstacles outside of the workplace that I could help them navigate through because um, it, it, was a very, it was very difficult for, for, for immigrants quite often. And I, and, I, and I had this passion about the people that were getting the job done and making me look good. And, that be- and I learned that in housekeeping. And if I was ever, you know, plan my career... There wouldn't even be a dot about housekeeping, but it ended up being the first place I became a department. So all of a sudden, at age 22, I'm a department head of a major department in a hotel, albeit it's housekeeping, but that really didn't matter. I'm exposed to the budgeting process, mm-hmm. held accountable for um, large payroll. Which, which could be translated to other departments. Translated to all departments. Now, it didn't mean that I still didn't have a marketing mentality right. or a mindset and a front office um, basis, but but... The lesson was you don't know where the opportunities are going to present themselves. 
And even though it's good to have goals and where you see yourself progressing in a career, sometimes the opportunity will come out from the most unusual place and go for it. If you can take advantage of that. Um, and so all of a sudden, uh, I skipped a few rungs because I, I, I went from that to becoming the front office manager. I've already been a department head. I didn't mm. have to, to – so that was a bigger position than over in the food and beverage. So I was able to move up having had department head experience much earlier in, in a career than you can typically get in a much younger age. And that really set the profile for me to be able to um, start tackling on – tacking – and taking on um, jobs of greater responsibility at uh, what was considered a much younger age than the normal. Right. So I'm, I know I'm skipping a little ahead here, but um, speaking of opportunity, uh, you get approached by a man named Steve Wynn at mm-hmm. some point, uh, who's opening up a new uh, casino hotel in Las Vegas. Yeah. Tell us about how that came about and uh, what your sort of feeling was or mindset was at the time. So I was running the Phoenician Resort in Scottsdale, Arizona. And, and what year is this around? So um, I ran the Phoenician from 1994 to 1998. What so it, you've been in this for like 15 years now in the business. Yeah, from 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 a serious perspective, yeah. I had been. I had, I had worked my way up from Marriott. I uh, had opened Marriott's Desert Springs as the hotel manager, uh, resident manager, and it was um, uh, a big part of what I of my learning curve. And I was recruited to actually operate, uh, become general manager of the El Conquistador Resort and Country Club in Tucson. So this was a new company I was going to work for. I didn't know much about the company, but I knew it was a great opportunity. It was a hotel that I, that I was familiar with. I went and saw and thought that this was the kind of resort that I really wanted as my first opportunity. And it had the resort and the country club component to it. And because I had been recruited by ITT Sheraton at that point, um, and this was their best resort in their system at that time, uh, I quickly became their, involved in their resort development work. They started using me to get involved in new resorts they were looking to acquire and develop. So, again, an opportunity that I didn't know would have presented itself. And actually, if I stayed with Marriott, I was much further down on the rung of experts that they would go to on resorts and other things. But all of a sudden, I was thrust into the role of running this resort and country club, which I was really well equipped to do at that point and had, again, terrific success with that hotel, rebuilt a a marvelous team and drove the the business levels from 1991 to 93, uh, but also started doing resort development work. As part of that resort development work, our company acquired the Phoenician Resort in Scottsdale, which at the time was arguably the number one resort in North America. Mm. Um, and as luck would have it, um, the general manager of that hotel decided to resign when it was being acquired to go do, pursue something else. And the company I worked for tapped me to be the managing director of that hotel, as well as then eventually promoted to be the president of a group of hotels based from that hotel, the Phoenician, where I oversaw the St. Regis in Aspen, the St. Regis in Houston, and a bunch of other properties, and continued to do the resort development work. And my time at the Phoenician was was incredible. It was a luxury resort, my first real uh, responsibility and exposure to luxury. Um, and we added um, the Canyon building there, which was we built a luxury product. I played a key role in the design and the, and the development of that. So I gained incredible experience doing that as well uh, and loved every aspect about the high-profile job, pro- job that it was um, 
what we were doing and how successful we were with it. And that was uh, a 650-room luxury resort. So for, mm. as far as luxury goes, that was considered um, extremely large mm. for luxury. And that, in large part, is what attracted Steve Wynn and Bellagio or Mirage Resorts at the time to recruit me to open Bellagio, run the hotel, vice president, you know, so, run the operation. So what did that look like? I mean, you just get a call from this guy or? Yeah, he's, he, I got a call from uh, his head of human resources and, um, and they, uh, and I wasn't incredibly interested, but I also was familiar that they were working on something, which I, which was Bellagio that was going to be truly special and different. And, um, and, and, um, although I was incredibly happy at the Phoenician, um, the company I worked for ITG Sheraton was being acquired by Starwood at the time. So, uh, there was a little of uncertainty. I don't know, you know, what the future ownership plans were, what yeah. it would be like. And, um, Steve's guys were, um, persistent and, um, sold me on the dream and the vision of what they wanted to create with Bellagio. And what was that dream? The dream was to introduce luxury to the Las Vegas Strip for the very first time through um, all aspects of it. So, so compete with some of the best luxury hotels in the world from from all facets, which hadn't appeared before. They, before that, Vegas had learned how to do a good job with high rollers, but um, high-end luxury travelers, not so much. That was not really a focus. Right. But Steve's vision, and it was it was incredibly redefined Las Vegas, but with the entertainment, with the physical uh, property that he was building, um, with the dining, and all the things that, that, that helped revolutionize Las Vegas, I had the opportunity to be a part of that. And my part was to deliver on a service promise and uh, at, a, at a large scale. And I was able to pull upon a lot of people that had worked for me in the past that I brought into the operation. And we um, uh, were able to achieve you know, luck, true luxury status and deliver luxury service that prior to hadn't been done on a large scale in Las Vegas. So um, that was a, it was, it was a good challenge and it was something that, uh, th that I was super excited to be part of. Um, and it was also interesting watching Steve, who was an entrepreneur and a charismatic leader, and uh, so, so I saw a, a, a lot of um, what made uh, his company successful by observing what I, you know things I saw, things I liked, things I didn't like. Mm -hmm. But um, he, he, it was amazing what he did, and our offices were in the same area, and it was just a uh, it was a great exposure. But by this time. In large part because of the success I had at the Phoenician, my entrepreneurial bug was really right. kicking That's in. That's what I was going to ask is, during this point, did you ever feel like, okay, I think I'm ready to I, I felt that thing. I felt it after the Phoenician, in large part because, as I mentioned, I was part of the team that acquired the Phoenician. Right. And we paid $240 million when we acquired the Phoenician. The company did, ITD Sheraton. When I left the Phoenician four, a little over four years later, the hotel was worth over $500 million. And I said, wow, that value creation mm. um, it w it w was, was uh, the end result of the success we had at the property, driving revenues, driving profit, guest satisfaction. All those things contributed to the, to, right. to the, to the value creation. And I started thinking, I, you know, I, I, could, I could do that with the right um, – property with the right physical 
attributes of a of a of a hotel resort, of a resort, coupled with the right culture and the right uh, service delivery and style, that there's something that I could get my hands around. And um, at the Phoenician, they gave me a lot of freedom to drive the business, to drive mm. the creative. To uh, and because I had early success there, they 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 kind of gave me a lot of space and a lot of room. Um, and many of the things that I was able to do there, both stylistically um, and um, performance-wise, I was able to integrate into how I ultimately operated Montage and created Montage. Yeah. You know what's interesting? Um, I feel like a lot of different businesses could, that, that leap of going from perhaps running a company that wasn't one that you founded or running a significant part of it to actually starting a company isn't isn't as big. Like you know, there aren't as much capital costs and that kind of stuff. But opening up a physical property like a hotel, presumably you had to go out and secure capital to purchase whatever you needed to purchase and hire people and all that stuff. Was that something that not scared you, but was it something that intimidated you at all? No, to- I had I, I essentially had raised the capital to do this before I did went out. Okay. And the way I did that was um, uh, through a dear friend of mine, uh, Piero Midiar, who was a founder and chairman of eBay at the time, mm-hmm. probably 34 years old, was a billionaire, mm-hmm. um, is a billionaire, I should say. <laughs> yeah. um, and we were friends. Um, we'd met, he'd gotten married at, at, at Bellagio, and through mutual friends, someone said, hey, Alan, keep an eye on my friend getting married here. And we, uh, we hit it off. Friendship developed. We went out socially when he'd come to town. They moved to Vegas. We'd go out together. And it was just a, a relationship developed. And one day, and I'd been thinking about doing an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial things for a while, uh, over lunch I asked, you know, would you ever have an interest in diversifying and in investing in hotels? And that ultimately led to me meeting with his family office, a gentleman named Mike Moore, who was just uh, um, a brilliant guy that, was, that, that saw the vision and the dream right away. And, um, and, and Pierre um, believed in me and that uh, he'd seen the success and knew, knew of me. And we were lined on uh, how we saw the world in a lot of ways. And I put together some, uh, a plan. Um, and basically, he would invest in some assets. And yeah. I would build a hotel brand around what we did. And, and my, my, my thesis at the time was that um, old world luxury, traditional luxury from 20, 25 years ago, was too stuffy and too pretentious. And that the next generation of consumers was looking for a much more gracious and humble approach to luxury, where you could be as comfortable in jeans as you are in a suit and tie, where you could, but still have incredible craftsmanship and mm. fine quality and great food and beverage. And kind of, my, my goal was to deliver a style of service um, that I actually first really um, delivered in, in, in Scottsdale, because here was a resort in Arizona right. that by very nature should be less stuffy right. and formal. Did, did but that, I actually took yeah. that further as I thought what I thought luxury should be like. Did that goal and vision come after you decided you wanted to go out on your own and start your own thing? Or was it, you know, something that first came to you and, the, and you said, the only way I can really create this if I, is if I go out and start my own thing? It was, no, it was already in my mind of how I viewed luxury. And... Sometimes, when you, and, and this is a good lesson for entrepreneurs, you have a plan. My plan was 
when I actually started the company, it was post 9-11. Um, the hotel business was really in a downturn and I thought it would be a repeat of what was the RTC days of 10 years earlier where hotels got upside down, banks were taking them back and luxury hotels were selling as a discount. So my premise was it's, not, it's post 9-11, raise some capital with Pierre, create a partnership where he'd be my partner in my, my hotel company. He was a minority partner. I'd be the majority uh, of the, of, of what ultimately became Montage. And I would create a company, and the, at that point, the name of the company that I created was the Platinum Hotel Group. That was a placeholder name. It was never meant to be a consumer brand. And the idea was that I would then find an existing asset or two and start the company by buying a luxury asset as a discount and then create a brand around whatever hotel we bought and use that name, perhaps, or whatever, whatever happened. But what happened that I didn't anticipate was that Banks were much smarter post 9-11 than they were right. post RTC. They weren't selling luxury assets at a discount. They realized work with your owners. The values will come back up. So, so there was more patience on that. But what had dried up was capital for new build opportunities. And here I was flush with some capital to invest in new build opportunities. I was introduced shortly after I started the company. I was introduced to an opportunity in Beverly Hills that ultimately became Montage Beverly Hills. And as part of that introduction, the development group wanted to show me what they were doing in Laguna Beach right here as an example of the kind of work they did. When I came to Laguna and step foot on this property, I knew this would be the ideal platform to create a brand around. And that opened the opportunity to create what I ultimately created in Montage, both from a style of service, the, the feel, the vibe, the energy. Right. And the beauty of being able to start afresh, a, a, a new build, you have no bad habits. You don't have a single um, previous right. employee that... that, that um, that you had to correct behaviors with. You, right. you had the opportunity to, I had the opportunity to create a culture and, and, and develop an organization of incredible talent that could deliver an experience to the guests that I could only dream about. Right. Alan, I'm not sure how much capital we're talking about here, but, you know, obviously this property, and we're, we're here right now in Montage Laguna Beach, uh, it couldn't have been cheap, right? I mean, like, this is, like, primo like probably like i don't know around the world even like you know with the view that we have now looking at you know the, the beach the ocean i mean how did this become available right like how did you find it how did you how did you win yeah. this so, property so i mentioned there was a developer that was that wanted to show us this as part of the development work so we when we looked around and i i, I toured it with um with mike moore who was who was pierre's financial uh, advisor I mentioned, Mike, this, this would be the ideal platform. He says, well, let's pursue it. And what that meant, this, was, this land this was owned by Marriott, and they were developing a hotel here to be managed. They owned Ritz at the time, but there was a Ritz down the street, so they were going to operate it with their Ritz division and call it the Laguna Beach Colony. as an independent hotel operated by Ritz. They wanted to sell. It was post-9-11, but they also wanted to keep the long-term management contract. When I said I'd raise capital, I didn't raise a specific amount. We had an understanding that we would go out and look to, to, to grow a company. We'd evaluate the opportunities as they came forward. And, and I had implicit trust in, in my mm -hmm. new partner. And we never really 
There talk, were no like boundaries in terms there, of no. We never, ta- you know, we yeah. we would. I mean, the first call was, you know, I originally said I think we're going to buy an existing assets. Are you okay if we looked at some new build opportunities? And um, after answering questions why that made sense, the cost to develop, the replacement cost of luxury assets, and all that, that uh, I, I made a good case, and it was a good case that we should pursue a new build opportunity and mm-hmm. um and, and 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 they bought into that right away so there was no um uh, but there was no parameter you know you have x amount of dollars to spend go do that go find a good deal we'll evaluate it on its merits with the caveat that it's not about trophy properties mm-hmm. we're not interested in collecting trophies we want to create value and you've explained a value proposition for luxury assets that you can get premiums for them so yeah so so it was not again you know you, you read of many billionaires that, that want to own hotels but they may not have the economic discipline or focus uh, yeah. that was not the case with my partner it was it has to make good business sense right. and then and then we would be interested in so I'm sure it. Yeah. So the deal here was that um, they want the Marriott wanted to sell this unencumbered with with, with without uh, they want to sell encumbered. I'm sorry with with the management contract. So ultimately, we negotiated a price that would include um, a premium for them no longer keeping the management, and we negotiated that, and we and, and public records would show that we. Paid 190 million dollars for this hotel. It wasn't. It was in construction, and then we finished. You know, our, our finished building the hotel. But there was a residential component to it as well. So you got to keep in mind it wasn't just the hotel component. There was residences, and one of the big, um, one of the big drivers of the economic success for the deal. And when we acquired this, was um, I felt that Marriott had undervalued the economic value of the residential real estate. There were 14 lots to sell and 14 um, villas, condominiums. Mm. And they had underwritten the lots at a much lower number than I thought we could get, having been familiar, somewhat familiar with Southern California real estate, the uniqueness of what was here. And the premium that we had paid for buying the hotel was exceeded by the premium we received for the real estate when we ultimately sold real estate. Mm-hmm. So it ended up being a very strong economic deal. So the basis in the hotel dropped dramatically once, once the, uh, the land sales and the condo sales took place. And we sold it at record pricing. Mm-hmm. We sold lots at the time from 4 to $6 million, which the highest prices before that were a couple million dollars. So considerably yeah. above what the market was. We sold... Uh, condos or the villas, um, the high end of the market was about 700 a square foot years ago. We sold it for over 1,200 a square foot. Again, this was you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we recouped a, a large part, of, a, a, good, a good part of the investment. Um, so, uh, and then ultimately about 10 or 12 years after we were open, our partners sold the, sold the asset, um, the hotel, um, but we obviously continue with a with a, we have a very long term management contract that mm-hmm. that's that's rock solid and um, so it was a great financial investment for my partner um, and we continue to be partners to this day on the on the hotel company and it was uh, it, it, it was an unusual circumstance had nine eleven not not happened had not 
the hotel industry been in dire straits in mm-hmm. 2001, early 2002. Uh, this kind of opportunity might not have presented itself. We were in the right place, right time. Um, and to have that kind of support from a partner like Pierre and his people um, is astounding. Truly remarkable. Just doesn't happen that way. Um, and I felt a huge responsibility to deliver on his willingness to invest in me and into a company that he entrusted with me to create. And uh, um, it, it turned out to be a, a, a tremendous match, and we've uh, continued to grow from there. Yeah. One of the things that people often ask, I mean, were you just successful here, so you then grew a brand? Well, no, it was always the idea that it would be multiple hotels. Right. Mm. Yeah, oftentimes, you know, before you sort of step into that founder seat, you don't see a business in, in, in everything that it is. You know, you're, you're sort of, again, like kind of focused on one particular function or a few functions. But as a business owner, you, you, you see it holistically in, in, in every aspect. So I guess what's something that, you know, when, once you created the brand and started growing the brand, you saw as a founder it could be a challenge, could be something that was, you know, you weren't anticipating or expecting that many people might not understand about running a hospitality business? Well, as we were growing, I, I realized, um, I suspected early on, but, I, but it was reinforced that it, it's a talent within the organization that delivers on the vision and the promise that, 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 that we create, and that's what the brand ultimately becomes. Um, so I became focused on making sure that we hired people that, we're not just successful in their careers, but also had a style and a compassion and a humanity about how they operated and did business. <clears throat> because um, people that weren't of our culture stood out like a sore thumb from, uh, from how they interacted and, and behaved and treated people. And um, I really upped the uh, focus on making sure that the both parts, the ability to do the job, but how they did the job, um, I came to recognize as equally important if we were really to grow and where each montage could resemble the next from a style of the service, from how we treated our associates, from how we interacted in the community, from how ultimately the service was delivered to our guests. So that, that was something I learned because at one point I said, I'll just hire the best general manager in each market, put him in the hotel, and maybe that would be the magic recipe that, that does it. Um, it's not necessarily the magic recipe. You really, really you have to dig a, a step deeper to make sure that as we attract talent, it has to be the right talent. Uh, and, and that's a, a big part of uh, what we focus on to this day. Alan, it's been about 18 years now, a little over that perhaps, that you started Montage. Um, and you have, you know, hotels obviously in Laguna Beach and South Carolina, Utah, Mexico, and several others. And I know several others to come. I know that you also started a company with your son, right? Another hotel company. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about that and, I mean, how that came to be. Did your son approach you and say, Dad, time for me to get in the business. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be under the montage name. Or, I mean, no, tell, tell no, us about no, that. No, no, what, what happened, so, so when we started montage, when I started montage and, and, with, with the team early on, it was, I saw there was a need in the marketplace. Right. I thought that um, ultra luxury was, um, as I mentioned before, too scripted, too pretentious, and that, um, that, 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 that there was a, a need for, um, a different style of service. And that became, 
um, what we were all about, a sense of place where you wouldn't repeat the design and aesthetic from one from Boston and put it in Maui, where each that the, the, the guests were looking for a sense of discovery. Now, the style of service can, can translate well, but you really want to pay homage to where you're at. And, and we built our hotels with that in mind, that each hotel needed to, to really be of the place. So that, that was an important component of it. And like I said, the style of service was different than the formality that, that we'd seen before. Fast forward, we're, we, have, we have great success with, with the first few montages. And because Laguna um, was so uh, high-end in the, in the luxury spectrum, it could, it's a pretty broad spectrum right. when you say luxury. Uh, well, we became laser-focused on um, only the very top of what luxury looks like. So um, that meant there was a certain markets that we couldn't grow into right. because mm-hmm. to deliver the style of service that we deliver and the number of people and, the, and all that accompanies it, you need to be able to charge a rate that's commensurate with the service levels. Right. And you don't want to confuse people or devalue the brand or right. anything like that. Yeah. So in the early years, I would say, in, even to this day, we're as much defined by the deals we don't do as by the deals we do. So we're turning down tremendous a number of hotel opportunities. So... Um, that led to an opportunity later to create a second brand. And I'll, I'll, I'll loop what my son's involvement was. So my, my son, after college, did an internet startup. Didn't go as well as he would have liked. Uh, found he had some time on his hands. Um, and this was when we were opening our hotel in Beverly Hills. He att- happened to attend uh, a- an owner's meeting with me in a design meeting mm-hmm. where we were going through the design and the architecture and looking at all that. And he, he said, wow, this is a, this, I hadn't seen this part of the business. I've only been involved in the operational side. And he, he had worked in hotels. He had worked at Bellagio as a pool boy when he was 15. I mean, he, he, had a, he, he spent a lot of time in hotels. Right. But um, he got attracted to the development side right away. So he went to work for a developer. First as an unpaid intern, then they then uh, they insisted he was invaluable. They needed to pay him, and then he he worked his way up there. And then when we opened Beverly Hills, he started. Uh, he knew the building better than anyone. Was giving tours of it. Had a real gift about how he handled himself. So I had him get his real estate license, and he started. Uh, he was on the sales team selling our, our residences, which gave him a direct line to me in case, you know, important issues or things I could help him with. And he played a valuable role doing that. And that morphed after a few years to work in our development side, which was developing more montage hotels at the time. Well, we're, 2011, 2012, we start thinking about, as opposed to trying to, we want to grow, we have the infrastructure to grow, as opposed to trying to force fit Montage into markets aren't necessarily perfect for montage. There is a need for more luxury, but it doesn't have to be montage luxury. Um, is there another brand we can develop? And we kind of focused on what was hot at the time, or what we saw the niche, or the what we saw where we saw where we thought the niche would be for um, a, a new style of brand. And what we thought was, and what's proven out was that you had lifestyle hotels emerging in this time, the W's of the world and Schrager, and they were super cool hotels, more defined by the scene in the lobby, perhaps the surly doorman, perhaps dimly lit bathrooms and tiny rooms. But that customer was aging. They, 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 they wanted more of a luxury style experience, but they still wanted the vibe and the energy and the excitement. 
And our premise was, why not take the best of what service-oriented hotels do, Montage, Ritz, Four Seasons, and you know, take our culture of service, marry it with a design and an aesthetic and an energy and a focus on um, music and entertainment and art that uh, skewed a little bit younger but was still luxury through and through. And that was the hole in the market that we saw and a need for us to, to enter with a luxury product in markets that, that didn't have to have the same right. extraordinary rate that we got with Montage. But an extraordinary, but 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 pure luxury by any stress of the imagination. So we really didn't like the terms lifestyle or boutique hotel. Right. So we decided mm-hmm. that's new luxury to us. So we went with Montage was essentially ultra luxury. Pendry, which became the new brand, became new luxury, and we set out to create the brand. Michael took the lead on what that would look like, what it would feel like, and became you know as as, as founder of that brand, a co-founder with us. Um, has driven that and has a remarkable skill set for doing that. And we've seen an explosion of our Pendry brand. So we've had two hotels open for a few years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, San Diego, which leads the market and does incredibly well. And then Baltimore, our Pendry there, was named the number one hotel in North America <laughs> by Condé Nast readers two years ago. Wow. So that brand hit the consumer incredibly well. Right. Does does and, and and is really a great growth platform for us. Mm-hmm. We have six hotels opening in this next year. We have Crazy. two montages and four pendries. So um, we manage them together in the sense that the operations team and the 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 the, the, the culture say one company, and we we, we utilize the skills um, that we've honed through the years. Um, but the design, the aesthetic, the look, the feel, the energy, uh, the driver of this brand is my son Michael, and he's just done a an awesome job you with that. You mentioned the six hotels, and you know, as as we've seen this year has been not so pretty um, for a lot of folks, but especially the hospitality industry. And so, I guess talk to us about the impact that this pandemic has had on not, not only your business, but how you see it sort of, you know, how you see it impacting the, the future of the hospitality business yeah. in general. I would tell you, it's a better time to be under construction than open yeah. as, mm-hmm. as a general premise, right. yeah. because um, we, we saw revenue come to a grinding halt in March when, when, the pandemic, uh, when the pandemic hit. And it's been, the hospitality industry has been hit brutally hard. Um, our associates have been impacted the most where we, where, where we've just had, you know, without any business, having to scale back has been, uh, super difficult. Um, having said that, um, we've learned and we, 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 there's been an incredible focus now on, um, on, on, on sanitation protocols and, and, and creating an environment where our guests can feel safe, um, and we've seen a terrific rebound um, with the individual travelers. So our hotels, like Laguna, where we would virtually sell out every weekend during the summer, although it was all outdoor dining and no group business to speak of, no more uh, large weddings, mm-hmm. no more. So, so, so things changed dramatically, but um, business levels came back reasonably, except with the caveat that group business wasn't there. So, right. so, so that's that's difficult. Um, and a resort like Palmetto Bluff in South Carolina had a very good summer re- relative to 
the even previous years because the drive to nature of the business, which was the drive to, was more of an Atlantic centric market, perhaps. The whole eastern seaboard now was looking for new luxury getaways and opportunities. And you can't go to Europe, you can't travel far, right. but driving 10 hours or 12 hours was no longer uh, an obstacle. Right. So we actually had a very good summer in Palmetto Bluff in, in right. South Carolina. <laughs> and we've seen most of our hotels, the resorts have done well on the leisure side, but we're missing the group component of our right. business. And the city hotels are hit the hardest. Um, so it's going to take a little time for that to come back. I think it's a matter of consumer confidence. Um, the individual traveler has been confident that they can manage their experience whether the combination of the masks, the sanitation protocols, um, and just how we uh, maneuver around the hotel, whether it's the QR codes for menus and the little things that we can do um, uh, are important. I think ultimately the rebound for the hospitality industry, industry will be when there's confidence to travel and confidence to travel really will be when there's a vaccine and therapeutics that, that are effective. So uh, as an industry, uh, we're hurting. Um, but, uh, but we'll, we'll, we will get through this. And so, so for us as a company, it's a tale of two worlds. Part of our world is dealing with, um, the incredible challenge of COVID Mm -hmm. and our operating hotels and the things that we had to put in place and how we operate and got smart about. But at the same time, we're preparing to open six new hotels and all that has to go in that. So, so we, uh, We've been living in both of those worlds and, and you know, opening hotels coming up very shortly. We're opening in Healdsburg, our montage, uh, at the end of this month. We'll be opening a Pendry in West Hollywood uh, where the old House of Blues used to sit. We're going to open that. Oh, sweet. Close to us. Right near you. Yeah, we're yeah, going to yeah. open that one uh, in January of, this year, of awesome. next year. We're going to open in Chicago in the spring. We're going to open in uh, New York City, a Pendry, in the summer. We're going to open in the fall both a montage up in Big Sky and a pendry in Park City. So Amazing. we got a, a, an exciting year ahead for us, right. tremendous mm-hmm. opportunities. Each project is, is more exciting than the next, and right. it's just uh, it, it's a very positive time. Right. But um, we really, as an industry, need to get back to being able to accommodate larger numbers of people, right. groups, weddings, di- indoor dining needs to be back. Um, and we've stayed very flexible, getting creative as we can. We've expanded the outdoor offerings dramatically um, across the portfolio. Right. We've even seen uh, Cabo come back quite strongly. Yeah, uh, Maui recently reopened where we had been closed um, essentially because there was a two-week quarantine when you arrived on the island. That was lifted. Mm-hmm. With a COVID test, you can fly over and, and, and enjoy it. So we're seeing um, a lot of pent-up demand to get back to Maui, where we have a spectacular hotel. Alan, on a investing in real estate side, the side, side of the hotel business, I mean, do you consider this a good time for folks that are looking to get in as either hotel owners or as um, you know operators or as even just staff to start in the hospitality business? Or is the uncertainty just too much to determine... What comes next? Well, I think it's. I think the it's it's a short term issue. I think that there'll be a resolve um, to COVID. Um, I believe that. I believe the hotel industry will rebound. Um, it'll rebound very strongly. I think if you're talking about investing in hotels, um, there'll be some short term opportunities for distressed 
investing right. for those that are looking to do that. I think um, there's always a, a flight, in my opinion, a flight to quality. So I, uh, the focus is, is even greater on quality. And I think values hold up better on um, product and properties that are more differentiated and aren't just their success isn't just based on pricing, but really on a truly different type of experience. So uh, I'm, I'm bullish on, on luxury uh, hotels and um, in, in what I expect as a, as a return. I think 2021 will be a challenging year, um, but uh, I'm hopeful that, that, that as we get into the year and we see some early successes with, with the treatments and vaccines, that um, there'll be a confidence in booking rooms again um, and demand that's been pent up for a long time that'll, yeah. that'll help drive the next few years. Just to sort of wrap up, you know, one thing that I've noticed, like just sort of like a theme throughout your life and career is this, is this like optimizing for learning and growing constantly. And yeah. so how do you kind of stay up to date and just like keep yourself educated on what's going on in the world or perhaps like things that you're interested in? Do you, do you read a lot? Do you, is it mainly just speaking to people? Like, yeah, I, I'm a news junkie. I read a ton, um, both in the industry and out. Um, I, it's just something that I've always enjoyed. Um, I engage with a lot of really smart people and that's where, and that, yeah. that's, that's where I learn. I, 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 I listen a lot. Um, get varying perspectives and I have some really, uh, really brilliant people that I work with and that I like to associate with. And sometimes it rubs off a little bit. (laughs) Um, it's, it's, you get into trouble when you think you have all the answers and, and, uh, we've had a lot of success where we'll see things and I tweak them or modify them to fit our brand or our hotel. I see some of, some of the best ideas. People say, wow, that's super creative. And I get a lot of credit for being the creative visionary. But quite often, it's from traveling and being out and about, seeing things I like, and then trying to put our twist on it. I get, all, I get asked all the time, oh, you must be a super critic. You run luxury hotels. When you go stay in a hotel, or you must tear it apart looking for things that are wrong. I said, no, it's the complete opposite. I'm looking for things they do right, things that other hotels or other brands or, or, uh, do incredibly well, and that inspires me. That excite me, excites me. Then I come back and tell our people, hey, I just saw this. Have we thought of that? And someone will say, yeah, that's a great idea, and maybe we can even do it this way. Right. And, and that's part of um, what drives us. And, and my role is, is to try and inspire the team to do great things, and I mm-hmm. have... An incredible, talented organization. Uh, Jason Herthel, who is our president and chief operating officer, is an incredibly bright and gifted and talented leader with uh, that, that does a terrific job um, uh, managing the day-to-day of the company. And 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 we collaborate on on, on virtually everything. And, um, and 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 relying on. Um, on thought leaders and smart people that, that, that we come in contact with is, is an important part of how we'll continue to grow and be on the forefront um, and, and continue to try and um, make Montage as special as it can be. Alan, you've obviously been in this industry for 40-plus years now, and you know you, I could just tell that you're even more excited now than perhaps you were when you first began, which is, which is just incredibly inspiring to me and I'm sure a lot of people that listen about where they can end up, not even end up, but where their career and where their life could progress. I'm curious, I mean, how much time did you spend outside of work, right? Because it sounds like you were 
so i don't want to call it obsessive but it's like kind of like that mamba mentality where you're just so focused on being the greatest in what you do right individually but also as a team and also as a sport right the sport of hotels yeah how did you i mean what did you do i mean talk to us a little bit about that i'm really curious because equally important to me has been family i have four kids um, and even my career was somewhat shaped with family. Some of the jobs I took along the way, when I had young, young kids, I didn't want to be traveling. So yeah. running a great hotel is a good way to make a great living and not be on the road all the time. Many, many jobs that pay well require a lot of travel. Right. So in those early years when my kids were the youngest, I was home quite a bit. And, and when you run a hotel, you have some flexibility on your schedule. And I was able to attend all the Little League sport, most of the little league sports games, most of the dance recitals, most of all those things. And what I decided to do early on was I could not um, pull myself away from the business. So I pulled my family to the business. Right. So it wasn't unusual on a Saturday morning where uh, I wanted to walk around just to check on things. I'd have one or two kids in tow, or we'd take a golf cart ride, or we'd pick up trash together, or we would do something. Or, um, and I would live near the hotel, in some cases at the hotel. Um, and my family, my wife was particularly supportive of doing that and being immersed in what we did uh, in support of what I did and the passion. So, um, yeah, I gave up other things, but the two things that, that I would focus on were the work and, and, uh, and, and family. And so, um, you know, didn't have as many boys trips as, yeah. as, as my peers might have and some of, some, of the, some of the golf outings and things. But, but I found a way. My son became a golfer and I loved to golf, so that became family time. So right. I was able to integrate um, my hobbies into family and it was family or work. And uh, that's what I chose for me. It's not for everyone, yeah. but for me, I was able to make it work. And for our family, we were able to work. And um, it created uh, an interesting dynamic. And um, I'm, I'm every bit or more proud, actually, of the young adults my children have developed into. And, of course, I give my wife the most credit for that. But they've developed into uh, incredible young people right. that um, that that... that, that um, to me, um, uh, every bit reflect what I was trying to create as montage. Right. What I was trying to create. So I've been blessed to have uh, good fortune on on, on on those two elements, and um, just just super super fortunate. Yeah, you know, it's it's very obvious to me that you're just like a super nice guy, right? Like, and I think that that's a little bit of an underrated thing when it comes to running a business. Why do you think that? You know, or I mean, have you always been that way, or is it just something that you know I've, I've been you had to learn? I've been accused of that. I'm not <laughs> as nice as everyone says, um, but um, look, I learned compassion probably from my parents and and how you want to treat people and and how I saw them. You you don't just pick it up. It's 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 something that is imparted um, um, through role models. I've worked for people that weren't such nice guys. And I said to myself, I don't want to be perceived like that. Because, right. again, you work in a hotel, you see that perform that action, and you hear what's really going on, what they say about that guy after the right. fact. Mm. Um, and I looked at um, the kind of roles I was taking as responsibility, not privilege. Um, and, and I saw that the kind of reactions that you would get by... Treating people right 
um, was the only way to, to, in my book, to, to try and behave. So I, I, I try, I aspire to be. The funny thing is, I, I, it, it, it's aspirational. You can never be as nice or as good as right. you want to be. Right. Um, but it's, uh, there's no reason. Look, um, there's, there's a difference between being a nice guy and being milk toast. Right. And, and there's a confusion sometimes. We're a nice guy company, but we don't, we, we will move on performers that aren't performing. Now, we'll do it right. in, a, in a gracious yep. way. We, if someone does, if it's not the right job or they're not working out well with us and, and, and we agree not to work together anymore, we want to do it in a positive way. We right. still had a good experience. We, we treat people with respect on the way out as well as on the way in um, because it still reflects on us as a people and as a brand and as a company. Right. Um, so that's important to us. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. and to, 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 as a company, it's common sense. But we have these great values, and I'm the last guy generally in the company to preach the values of the company <laughs> yeah. because it's, you're in a class house, and, I, and I'm sure I violate them way too much. Yeah. But, but they're aspirational. Right. How we behave, how we perform, we have great aspirations, and we try and get as close to those as we can. Sometimes we do a really good job of that, and sometimes we fall short. And when we fall short, we got to, you know... Yeah. Try again. Try right. to do better. Well, it's very evident, you know, when you stay at the montage, you, you feel it. You feel that, that difference versus staying anywhere else, you know, that you just explained. You know, those values, perhaps it's not something that you have to communicate on a daily basis, but as long as people understand it and aspire to, to live by those and work by those, then it sure. shows. They're less interested in what I say and what I do than, than what right. I actually do. So people watch what you do. People right. watch what their leaders uh, do. And you can say whatever you want, but they, that's, that's, not the, that's not the report card. The report card is what did you actually do? How right. do you actually treat people? Right. When the going got rough, what did you do? And, uh, or, or just in general, how, how, how do you interact with people? This is, this is the hospitality yeah. business. So if we can't be on the forefront of compassion and of humanity then who can be right well, well this has been amazing well, um i i mean your story is incredible i learned a hell lot a uh, hell of a lot uh just kind of you know about hospitality and just like what it takes and um i hope you know the listeners did too and we can't thank you enough uh for for all your hospitality and and uh hanging out with us and sharing your experiences and um, happy to do it yeah, yeah. We're, we're excited to see you know uh, all the new hotels and uh, properties open up and can't wait to visit more of them uh in the near yep. future yeah it's just it's just incredible to see somebody who just stuck it through right and sure jumped around from one hotel to the other and whatnot but when you kind of and i, I think steve Jobs said it when you look back all the dots connect when you look forward you don't really know but it's just incredible how one experience and one, you know, conversation with that guy at the door led to him being the GM and you having a conversation with him again and mentoring you and then just and then what you built here and, you know, around the country and, you know, hopefully around the world one day um, is just, I think, an incredible testament to just stick it through sometimes, even when the going gets tough, just focus on what you know best, focus on learning. And I think with that optimism that you shared and you know that hope that things will end up being all right no thank you, thank you. um yeah it, it, look I, i'm a super fan of what our industry has to offer um there's so many different components to hotels um and it's uh i chose a profession and a path that um i've been incredibly well rewarded for um, and something that uh, I found that I truly enjoy doing. Yeah. So uh, I'm one of the lucky ones. Well, thank you. Well, thank Alan. you very much. Thank you for your time.